Welcome to the Law Firm Culture 2.0 Show, where your questions help the legal community build progressive, productive, and profitable workplace cultures that work for everyone by leveraging the power of authentic relationships. I'm your host, Camila Exum, former attorney and relationship ICU patient, currently principal consultant and executive coach at Exum Consulting, where I'm a relationship jogger training for the triathlon. Hi, team. I hope you had a wonderful week. Hi, I'm glad you returned for more goodies. Yes, indeed, it's time for a new Q&A to keep the relationship I see you away. What should we talk about today? Okay, um, at this point, I know that I'm only amusing myself with the rhyming, so why don't we get to the question? Today's question comes to us from Tina. She asks, how can we help remote new hires feel welcome. We have three new associates starting with us in August. After an in-office orientation week, our firm allows attorneys to decide where they want to work. Two of our new hires want to work a hybrid schedule on different days, and one wants to work remotely. We have some great programs planned for orientation week, but outside of that, how might we ensure that our new attorneys feel like they're part of our team? I love your question, Tina. I love it. This is the I in DEIB, inclusion. I bet you already know how important inclusion is to employees, particularly through that all-important first year of employment. And it seems like everyone is really struggling these days to integrate onboarding and hybrid work. So let's get your question answered and help our people. So what does it take to include someone? There are so many factors to consider in building an inclusive environment, as, as I'm sure you know, right? You can think about things like steadfast leadership commitment to inclusion. You can think about how, how do we demonstrate respect effectively? And how do we create a sense of empowerment in our employees? And then, of course, there's so much more beyond that. But today, we're going to sort of talk about what all of these factors have in common when they result in success. And what they have in common is intention. When we're deliberate about building and maintaining goal-oriented systems, well, it's a lot easier to meet our goals. (laughs) So here's a story I'm going to tell you today about intention. I want you to imagine a family, mom, dad, adult son, and a dog. They receive a lovely new pet during the holiday season. Let's say dad brings it home for son after a business trip. Now, the family knows how to take care of pets, right? They've had their their dog for years. But this new pet requires some additional care. Three more items must be added to his health regimen. And uh, these are things that the family's not used to doing for itself or for the dog. But they love their pet dearly and they want him to be safe. So what do they do? The three adults sit down and talk with one another about what steps they need to take as a team to ensure that their new pet gets all the care he needs and that he doesn't run into any calamity. So during this conversation, the son is taking notes. And by the time they're finished, the family has a care schedule and has strategized ways to prevent any foreseeable injury to their new pet right? Then the family of five goes on to live happily ever after. Or they have no discussion. They form no strategies 
or schedules. And within a handful of days, Polly Holiday is flying out windows and Phoebe Cates is seriously regretting going to bartending school. You see, the lesson here is that when we act with intention, we can create optimal results, even when we're unfamiliar with the territory we're about to cover. Otherwise, we could end up like the townsfolk and gremlins. Yep. So with this in mind, let's coach. Tina, in a perfect world with no restrictions, how would you make new hires feel welcome at your firm? I want you to think freely. Don't concern yourself with the hybrid or financial or other factors that are really associated with your potential plan. Just no restrictions. How would you make new hires feel welcome? We're getting started here with our authenticity questions. How would Tina address her concerns if there were no limits? All right, so this exercise is calling for a bit more creativity than some of our other questions, right? Because Tina is trying to create a new solution. So I would ask another set of questions to support that analysis, but only if Tina is having trouble coming up with authentic ideas, like if she's too focused on money, for example. So you'll notice that that these are leading questions. Tina, what does your education or experience tell you about what makes people feel included? How might you find out the extent to which these factors or something else resonate with your new hires? Again, we're fostering creativity here and making sure to cover all of our bases. Tina, to what extent are your ideas for inclusion or or welcome hampered by the realities of working for your firm? Which parts of your ideal solution might need to change? To what extent would the anticipated changes impair achieving your ultimate goal? How might we work around that? Now we're applying our real world context to Tina's solution, right? These questions are are meant to help Tina determine whether her ideal inclusion plan is actually already realistic in part or whole. Maybe everything she's described is already permissible within firm policy and budget. So for instance, you know, I would like to be able to drop in on new hires once a day to see how they're doing might be just as feasible with remote workers as it is within office workers when we add intention as our secret ingredient. And of course, we also want to plan any minor changes to Tina's ideal solution that would have it fit securely within firm policy and still meet its goals. All right, so for our next set of questions, let's make up that maybe one or two of Tina's ideas would be outside current budget or policy guidelines and that her solution would not be as effective without them. And, you know, not just budget or policy guidelines, but maybe a partner does not like the idea. Tina, what would it take to obtain permission for your entire solution? Who has the power to decide? How might you influence their decision? How willing are you to do so? What kind of challenges do you anticipate? How can you prepare for them? How likely is it that a trade-off would be required? What might that be? How acceptable would that be to you? All right, this is our fear analysis. My story is that where uncertainty exists, so does fear for most people in our society. And here, 
Tina needs to ask someone to do something differently, which I'm sure is not exactly her favorite pastime. Now, if needed, I would ask specifically about worst and best case scenarios, as we usually do, but I haven't explicitly asked that yet because I'd like to wait to see whether the trade-off questions cover that first. So after this part of our analysis, here's a list of our potential next steps. If Tina's solution fits within the parameters of her authority, we're done. She can create her plan and move forward with intention. What has she set up to help her and her, her colleagues be intentional about putting this plan into practice? If Tina's solution does not fit within her authority, but she's willing to ask permission, she knows exactly what to do next and how to prepare herself. If she gets a yes, great. She can create her plan and again, move forward with intention. If she gets a no, or there's a trade-off that isn't acceptable to her, then she needs to go back to our third set of questions. How might we create a workaround that still meets your goals? And then lastly, if Tina's solution does not fit within her authority and she's not willing to ask permission or make the trade-off, again, we go back to the third set of questions as well. How might we create a workaround that still meets your goals? Culture 2.0 podcast. What a wonderful time it is to be influencing workplace culture. We have voices, everyone. Let's use them. Send us your questions at info at exumconsulting.com. That's info at E-X-U-M, as in Mary, consulting.com. And if you'd like to create a trust-building, authentic, relationship-centric, profitability-boosting strategy for your law firm, Don't hesitate to email us too. Don't fret so much about hybrid work, everyone. What a great opportunity we have here to practice intentional connection with one another. You can still check in with your brand newbies daily, only instead of walking down the hall, you check into the online co-working space your associates share, or schedule a five-minute Zoom meeting with them, or pick up the phone. Remember the phone? You can do this with your siblings too, by the way. They are waiting to hear from you. The salient point here is that yes, hybrid and remote work takes some additional planning, focus, and deliberation, but it's truly not as difficult as it might initially seem. Maybe the underlying challenge is where we need to spend the majority of our time. How do we better communicate with one another? How do we let others know that we want them to feel welcome or that what they said hurt our feelings or that We don't understand why they sometimes clam up or that we are so grateful for their support. Now, which scenario sounds more inclusive to you? Five people around the conference room table, three at home, with an established process for give and take that lets all voices be heard, or eight people around the conference room table where three or four of them talk over each other and ignore everyone else.
oh, I know that second scenario couldn't possibly sound familiar to anyone out there. <clears throat> Let's all ask ourselves, how can I use communication intentionally to better connect with my colleagues and to reach my goals? Today, we shall end with a quote from Deepak Chopra. Attention energizes, intention transforms. Yes, sirree, the man is speaking truth. What will you do with intention today? See you next time, everybody. Bye-bye.